today we're going to be uh, streaming this sermon to all of our campuses at Itaewon at Seaside down in Busan and also down in Australia with our Sydney church plant that just kicked off last week. Uh, I just want to say greetings. Shalom. All right, very good. Uh, for the last three Sundays, uh, you have not seen my wife and I because we have been traveling. Three weeks ago, we got to go to Shanghai, China, as my wife was invited as the guest speaker for a youth retreat there. And the youth retreat was full of uh, international students from all over the world. And uh, my wife, she preached some powerful messages. I mean, these young people had never seen a speaker so dynamic, so authoritative, and also so cute. <laughs> but uh, no, students were getting set free. The Holy Spirit was moving very powerfully. Uh, even though there were uh, the kinds of supernatural signs and wonders we often see when we go on different trips, uh, you know, many of them they were not familiar with that kind of ministry, but the Holy Spirit was still moving. Uh, this one young girl, she got baptized, water baptized during the retreat. And she was a very quiet, shy girl, never speaks up. But at the baptism, she spoke up and said, I had never been touched by God as powerfully as I have been at this retreat. She said that while she was just sitting in the seats, the Holy Spirit came upon her and she started to shake under the power of God. And she just knew that God was speaking to her and telling her that I'm real, I'm powerful, and I love you. And so she had a testimony as she was going into the water. Uh, there was uh, some incredible other testimonies, uh, all of which I cannot really share up here because I got to share my sermon today. I got to preach today. So if you are on leadership, you may have heard some of the testimonies already, but I would encourage you to come out to our prayer meetings. We'll share bits and pieces here and there. But Shanghai was a powerful time, and it was wonderful to be able to partner with God in what he's doing in Shanghai. After four days in Shanghai, we flew out to Sydney to help prepare for our opening service of our first international church plant. So Pastor Aaron preached the week before the last, uh, the first Sunday of April. And then on the opening service in April, I got to preach the message. And last week, New Philly, Sydney. You know, I, I just, man, I just really, um, I just fell in love with all those, all, all the guys down there. I just... You guys, you guys just really stole my heart while I was down there. I love you guys. You know, God's doing a powerful work there. And I'm so proud of Pastors Paul and Jamie giving leadership uh, to this church plant and to our church plant team and our uh, Aussie leaders uh, really stepping up and sacrificing to make this happen. Uh, but, yeah, last Sunday when we did the opening service, uh, over 100, 110 people exactly attended. Now, a lot of them were guests from different churches that came out to show their love and support. Uh, I'm guesstimating that today there have maybe 50 to 60 people. Uh, if a lot of the people enjoyed my sermon, there will be 60. Uh, they didn't like it so much, maybe a little bit lower. But uh, we had a lot of guests, and we had a wonderful time just worshiping the Lord. Hey, where's my water? And hey, what happened here? Three Sundays I'm gone, and I don't, I don't get a glass of water no more? I don't see nobody running right now. Oh, come on. All right. You know, you, know, you got to open the bottle. You see that? I only have one hand here. One of them has a little cast split on it. How am I supposed to? Uh, Anyway, at the opening service, I shared about how the Lord led us to plant this church in Australia. I talked about how our church, we are multi-site. We are a church that has a high view of scripture. And we are also spirit-filled. You know, some Christians identify themselves as cautious but open. Others will describe themselves as charismatic with a seatbelt. I talked about how that's fine. If it's a temporary stance, but when it becomes permanent, let's call that seatbelt for what it really is. Fear and unbelief. We need 
more Christians. I mean, I, I talked about how if the Apostle Paul identified himself as charismatic with a seatbelt, how differently the early church history would have been written. We need people to go all in. If this is really the Holy Spirit and this is the power of the Lord, then we need to embrace and move in this kingdom power. Anyway, I talked about how our church is spirit-filled. And I ended up preaching from Isaiah chapter 60. And the Lord impressed this passage on my heart as a vision of what kind of role that our church will play as we serve and we do church planning in Australia. God has called us to be a church that will raise up the Australians to new heights of spiritual maturity and global leadership. Amen? Amen, Sydney? That's right. The Australia church will arise and shine for the glory of the Lord appears over them. Nations will come and kings will come to the brightness of their dawn. And so I was just preaching that, prophesying that. You know, as Christians, we must stay humble and avoid pride. But, you know, some Christians, they try so hard to avoid pride that they end up avoiding their destiny. And let's face the truth. Scripture says that as God's sons and daughters, we are destined not for modesty, for glory. And we can get to that destiny of glory with humility if we will follow in the ways of the Lord. And so last week at the opening service, I preached uh, a message called the tall poppy syndrome. This is a mindset that is shared among Australians and New Zealanders and uh, even Canada, I heard. Canada and, and, and uh, Great Britain kind of shares this mindset. But the tall poppy syndrome is a mindset in which Australians profoundly esteem humility. But the drive for this virtue is rooted in envy. And I talked about how the culture of honor has to displace this culture of cutting people down who are seemingly prideful. And so that was what my message was about last week in Sydney. And I would encourage you to go listen to that message. All right. Today, I'm going to continue my sermon series on wisdom and relationships. On March 16th, before going on my trip, I preached the first message. It was called Imminent and Economic and regarded wisdom in our relationships with our church leaders. And I encourage you, this is a key message. How many of you here, you heard the message and it set you free? The rest of you are in bondage. Go listen to that message. <laughs> it's a powerful message. I encourage you to go on our website, Facebook page, podcast, and go listen to it. Uh, especially for those who have recently started coming out to church to Chris- explore Christianity or those who are just returning to church, this message will set you free. In the future, I plan to preach on wisdom and relationships with friends, with homosexuals, because that's a hot topic right now that preachers are avoiding, with unbelievers. How can we be better at being evangelistic? In our lives and in, our, in the way we communicate the gospel. And wisdom in our relationships regarding romance. Today, I'm going to cover wisdom in your relationship with family. And in particular, with your parents. For the many Asians that are sitting through our services today at our four campuses... Chinese, Koreans, Malays, Vietnamese, Japanese. Oh, you get the point, right? In- Indians, uh, Pakistanis. All right, sorry, I, I just keep going. <laughs> for, those who are, for those Asians that are sitting through our services today, I shall touch upon some desperately needed wisdom in our relationship with parents, especially with Asian parents. When we arrived in Sydney, Australia, two weeks ago, there was a conference going on called City to City. It was hosted by Tim Keller of Redeemer Church in New York City. And it was a conference for pastors and church planters. And so since we were there to church plant, 
we thought we'd go and check it out and learn a thing or, thing or two. I thought it was going to be a small conference because the conference fee was like $370 for like a three-day conference where it's just like from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock and they don't even provide you with lunch or housing. In that sense, our retreat is a great deal. <laughs> Y'all need to recognize. Anyway, it was three. We had to pay $360 a person. I was like, ain't nobody going to pay $360, especially broke pastors. So I was expecting it to be like maybe 50 people and I'll get some FaceTime with Tim Keller. And I'll just be like, yo, what's up, Tim? You know, I used to, I used to live in New York City, you know. But uh, end up being like a, over a thousand pastors there. Many of them are Anglicans and Presbyterian pastors. And we were wonderfully blessed. Uh, Pastor Erin is not so familiar with Tim Keller's ministry. And so it was really refreshing for her to get the perspectives, the very insightful perspectives that Tim Keller provides. He's a very gifted man of God. And at one session, Keller talked about the concept of contextualization. Everybody can say contextualization. Contextualization, contextualization is when Christians survey a particular culture... And then communicate gospel truths into language that can be understood by that culture. Missionaries and Bible translators have been doing this for ages. And it's about taking unchanging biblical truths and making them understandable and relevant without compromise to the audience that we're trying to engage. So Tim Keller talked about the importance of contextualization. And he told the story of missions work to Korea as an example of a lack of contextualization, a failure of contextualization. And he cited the observation of a close friend of his who has done decades of work in Korea. And his friend said that when Western white missionaries arrived in Korea, they brought with them what is called the Westminster Confession. And if you don't know what that is, um, it's like the Presbyterian Constitution. Just think of it that way. And when they brought a copy of the Westminster Confession and started to translate it into Korean, they failed to contextualize it to the Korean converts. And so Korean converts just began to apply it verbatim. And what needs to be noted is the West tends to be very individualistic. Whereas the East is very communal. It's all about family and communities. And so the Westminster Confession was written in a very individualistic society. And so it heavily emphasized honoring your parents and anyone who was older. Because those Westerners, they don't know how to honor their older folks and el elders and parents. And so I guess the Westminster Confession felt like we need to really drive it home. And so I was reading the actual primary source. And I was surprised by what I found. But for a culture that intensely reveres their ancestors and even worships them, the failure to contextualize the Westminster Confession caused Korean Christians to maintain their Confucianism, to tolerate ancestor worship, and it solidified a Korean church culture that was overly hierarchical. When I heard this, my heart just feverishly began to burn. And as a Korean, it suddenly clicked for me why our parents' generation do what they do. And even Korean Christian parents, I started to understand the psyche, the mindset from which they were coming. Sadly, Korean Christian parents, not just Korean parents, but Korean Christian parents, they tend to be, in my humble opinion, even more controlling than their non-believing counterparts. There is a great need to contextualize what the whole of Scripture has to say in regards to our relationship with our parents. And so I want us to turn to today's passage, Exodus chapter 20. Let's start there. Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at just verse 12. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. 
I'm going to read from the ESV for all those who are watching on video. I'm reading from the ESV. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let's stop there. The context of this verse is the Ten Commandments. Hey, Rosie, what are you doing here? Hey, how you doing? All right, sorry about that. Uh, someone from our, our seaside campus in Busan. Uh, this context is the Ten Commandments. And when God gets to number five, he commands us to honor our father and mother. Now, the first question we need to address is, who is my father and mother? Who are my parents? And I was, fi- I was surprised to find that in the Westminster Confession, it answers this question by saying that parents not only include your biological parents, but anyone who is superior in age and gifts and anyone who is in a place of authority, whether in the family, church, or government. That's how the Westminster Confession interpreted who are my parents. I mean, this is a highly individualistic society that they were trying to you know, speak into. The scripture that was used to um, actually say these things in the Westminster Confession, they were not very persuasive, persuasive to me. Because there are other verses that address how we ought to honor our government authorities, our spiritual authorities. So I don't feel like we need to use the fifth of the Ten Commandments to apply it to government authorities and church leaders. So for the sake of simplicity, I'm going to define your parents as the person or persons who primarily raised you in a home environment when you were a child. Now, this could be different for different people. This could be your biological parents, your adopted parents, your stepfather or mother. This could be your any legal guardian, like your grandparents, uncle, foster parents, orphanage director. I believe that all those types, all those kinds of people, they make, they define who your parents are. And the Bible says to honor your mother and father. Now, when you were a child, I'm not sure exactly what you did but the bible says that it would have pleased the lord if you honored your parents as a child and if you are still a child teenagers people still in high school here god commands you now to honor your parents and some youth may insist that the bible says to honor but doesn't say to obey well turn to ephesians chapter 6 Turn to the New Testament, small book of the Bible called Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 to 3. If you have a friend that found it faster than you, just look over to your friend. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Elsewhere in Colossians 3.20, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So all the children in here, people who are still living under the roof of your parents, Children, the Bible tells you to honor your mother and father by obeying your parents in the Lord and obeying them in everything. So for children, honoring your father and mother means if they tell you to get off the computer and do your chores, you go and do them. If they tell you to be at home by 6 p.m. to eat dinner together, then you don't give them a hard time. You be home at 6 p.m. sharp. If they tell you that you can't date, then you don't go around sneaking, sneaking around, creeping around. That's what it means as a child to honor your mother and father. It is to obey them in everything. And for those in here who just had children or who have already raised children, I know that you're thinking in your mind, this is the most reasonable command in all the scriptures. (laughs) This is not a difficult thing that God is asking of us. 
When you consider how much sacrifice and selflessness is required in raising a child and how much wisdom that a parent carries in comparison to their child, you know that this is just a reasonable command. Honor your mother and father. Obey your parents in everything. But by a show of hands in here, and even those on watching on video, by a show of hands, how many of you in here, you've ever disobeyed your parents? Raise your hand. You've disobeyed your parents. All right. Good. I feel better. <laughs> We're all probably guilty of that at some point. But we must understand with the fear of the Lord that God takes how we relate to our parents very seriously. Has anyone in here, you have ever cursed your mother or father? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> You've cursed them. You know, using all these expletives and saying, ah, I hope she dies and all that kind of stuff. Has anyone attacked his mother or father? Anyone in here? I'm actually curious. Who, who, who has? I know a couple of people who have attacked their father. Um, or has anyone in here, you can raise your hand for this, unless you're still in it. You've had a season of rebellion against your mother and father in your teenage years. You had a season of rebellion. Raise your, raise your hand nice and high. Drugs. <laughs> alcohol. <laughs> sex. You know, whatever. Like, you know. Okay. You know, where, where a parent may say, especially American parents, they may say, oh, that rebellion, oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, it's just a phase. My son will grow out of it. You know, it's like a lot of American parents say that. But to God, if you read his word, it is a big deal. This is what the word of the Lord says. Exodus 21, verse 17. I'll read it for you. Anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. Wow. Wow. Let me read another one. Exodus 21, verse 15. Anyone who attacks his father or mother must be put to death. Uh, everyone, look up Deuteronomy 21. This is a good one. Everyone, look up Deuteronomy 21. This is very visual here. 18 through 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21. Deuteronomy is one of the first five books of the Bible. Chapter 21, I'm going to read from verse 18. Just read along with me. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Verse 21. Then all of the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And all of Israel shall hear and fear. Wow. You notice that in the Old Testament, you have very few stories of rebellious children. <laughs> when when you, got, you got a law like that to execute in your community, oh, them children, they are going to be home by curfew. You see the weight of how God takes our relationship with our parents seriously. He wants us to honor them. And as children, he wants us to obey them. Romans 129, it actually lists a bunch of vices, a bunch of evil kinds of behavior. And it says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says that in the last days, there's going to be all kinds of evil. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. And so the Bible clearly communicates that disobedience to your parents is a very evil thing. And if you continue to disobey your parents and they're you're rebellious and you are a drunkard and a glutton, God even required that the community stone that young man to death. Pretty heavy stuff, right? You would think, what kind of what kind of God is this? This is terrible. Well, first, you must let that sink in. This is the holiness and righteousness of our God. He takes us honoring our parents very seriously. In the book of 1 Samuel, when the prophet Eli did not properly discipline his sons, they were uh, sleeping with the uh, women who served at the tent of meeting. And so they were blaspheming God that way. You know what God did? God stepped in himself and he killed his sons and Eli. And he prophesied it through the young man, Samuel. God takes honoring our mother and father very seriously. But what about in cases where children are subject to, subject to abuse? Or they are commanded by their father or mother to participate in something immoral? Or unethical. In these cases, what should a child do when the Bible says, children, obey your parents in everything? What are children supposed to do? Well, this is where the whole of Scripture is very helpful. Colossians 3.2 says, obey your parents in everything. 3.20 says, obey your parents in everything. But Ephesians 6.1 says, obey your parents in the Lord. So this requires a little bit of interpretation. Which is it? Do we obey our parents in everything? Or do we obey our parents in the Lord? And my answer to you is, it's not either or, it is both. When the scripture says, obey your children, obey your parents in everything, what it's saying is, don't pick and choose what to obey. If your parents say, wash the floor and do the dishes and fold my laundry... Then you obey them in everything. Maybe your parents are going through a stressful time. Maybe they have some kind of disease they didn't tell you about yet. And they're very tired. They just need your help. And they're too embarrassed to tell you about it. Because it has to do with them eating too many Cheetos or something like that. I don't, I don't know. I've been eating a lot of Cheetos these days. I'm spilling over into my sermons. So when it says in everything, it means don't pick and choose what to obey. But when it says in the Lord... Scripture is also saying, children, you got to obey your parents in the Lord. Meaning that your higher priority is to honor God's word. And so if obeying your parents means violating God's word, that means you honor God's word first. In that sense, you got to obey your parents in the Lord. So if you catch your father having a sexual affair, and he tells you not to promise to tell He tells you to promise not to tell your mother. This is an exception in which God will bless you to not obey your father. And I also think you can still honor your father, even though he's doing something very evil and something that's devastating the family. I think you can still honor him. You know, the honorable thing is not to go be like, mom, and just start blurting out what your dad did out of anger. Or be like, I'm going to get you, dad. How dare you ruin our family, you know? And some people do it out of spite and anger. I think an honorable thing to say, if you are able to find self-control, is to say, dad, I love you. Thank you for raising me. But I cannot comply with your request. What you are doing is an evil thing. I'm, I'm asking you right now, please tell mom within the week. Or I will tell her myself. Come on now. Y'all need to practice that. I mean, for the children. There are not many children here uh, 
But if you are a child, that's what you got to do. You got to muster up your courage, look your dad in the eye, and be like, I'm not obeying that. Because I'm going to obey you in the Lord. Now, when children reach maturity in adulthood, honoring your father and mother does not mean obedience in everything. Honoring them means growing up and taking responsibility for your life. If you really want to honor your mother and father as an adult, grow up. Get a job. Get off of the video games. And do something with your life. Take some responsibility for your actions. That's how you're going to honor your mother and father as an adult. And this is where Confucianism and Christianity, they radically separate and depart. Christianity esteems perfect maturity as the highest value. To be like Christ To be perfect as he is perfect. Christianity esteems perfect maturity. The Greek word telos. Perfection. But Confucianism esteems family piety as the highest virtue. Even to the point of revering your parents after death through ancestor worship. So that even when you become an adult, Confucianism sets up an an environment in which full-grown adults are still at the mercy of their parents' opinions. And to go against your parents in any way is seen as rebellion. In in a Korean culture, and and this may apply to other Asian cultures, if an adult says, do this, and you, you disagree and you ask why, that is seen as rebellious. You don't ask why. You just go and do it. To go against your parents in any way is seen as rebellion. So if the parent says, I don't want you to go into full-time ministry, then Confucianism says it is virtuous to obey them. Yes, mother and father. Sorry, I'm Asian, so I can do these kinds of Asian stereotypical <laughs> jokes. Hope that's not offending you, fellow Asians. Um, if a parent says, don't marry someone, don't marry that person, even though you're in love with them, then Confucianism says it is virtuous to not proceed until your parents change their mind. Confucian culture teaches that when two people get married, it's not just two people getting married, but two families getting married. Very common thing to say in Asian cultures. When I first heard this, I thought it was, it sounded wise. And I thought it was right. Until I saw the negative effects of such thinking. Uh, For example, what are we to do when one of the persons who wants to get married has a broken, dysfunctional family background? And it is not preferable for the other wealthy, class, high-class family to embrace this low-class, dysfunctional family. It's not in their best interest. What do you do in that case if the two families are getting married? This is why high-class, wealthy Korean families and Asian families, they prefer to marry other high-class, wealthy families. Or what about interracial marriage? What? You're bringing home a black guy? You are in love with a white guy? White girl? Come on, there's billions of Asians. Why would you choose a white person? (laughs) Well, if the mindset is two families getting married, then that is a big issue. Or if there is a language barrier, then the in-laws cannot communicate. I cannot have a relationship with your, your spouse's family. This is a problem. We, we cannot. I cannot learn French. So this cannot continue. Should two people forfeit their relationship because the in-laws would have a hard time getting along. 
You see, when I studied the Bible, I realized that this kind of thinking is the exact antithesis of Scripture. It's the very opposite of what Scripture says. The Bible teaches that for a man and woman to get married, they must leave their mother and father and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. It's in Genesis chapter 2. Very early on in the Bible, God institutes marriage. And he defines it as a man or a woman leaving their parents and cleaving to the spouse. And that those two adults now become one. And they start a new family. That's biblical teaching. Christianity teaches that honoring your father and mother as an adult is radically different than honoring your father and mother as a child. And we as Christians, we got to learn how to distinguish this. And um, how do we define whether a person has reached adulthood? If it's different from children to adults, how do we define who's an adult? Well, it depends. I will personally define it as when a man or woman, it's just my personal definition, comes of age and gets a full-time paying job and starts contributing to the bills and to society and or moves out on his own. That's, That's when a person reaches adulthood. This can happen when you're 18, 22, or 30. But if you are still living with your parents, refusing to get a job, spending all day playing video games, that's not an adult. That's not a man. That's a little boy. So that's how I would uh, uh, define an adult. Someone who has learned to make a living on their own. Even if they're living in their parents' house, they're contributing to the bills. Because they're getting a full-time job. They are getting paid. Christianity does not promote mindless obedience to your parents as a form of honoring them. In fact, adults that mindlessly obey their parents are, or those who uphold the Confucian value of filial piety. Uh, filial means um, that which is due from a son or daughter because the parents have sown it so much into them. Those who uphold the Confucian virtue of filial piety are often the most unhappiest people in the entire world. They harbor all kinds of resentment toward their parents or they become depressed for not meeting up to their expectations. A great example of this is the nation of Korea. Korea ranks consistently in various surveys as one of the most unhappiest countries in the world despite having the 13th largest economy of the world. Korea's children are some of the highest, most highly educated, but they also have the lowest happiness rating. And they also have the highest suicide rates. Far above the nation that comes next to them. Why is the Korean people so unhappy? And why are they killing themselves? If they're making all this money and money's supposed to give ha- happiness, why aren't they happy? They gotten richer. Standard of living getting better. People eating ginseng and all kinds of different roots, living longer. You know, Korea has the longest life expectancy of, one, uh, of most of the OECD countries. Why aren't we happy? Why is the nation of Korea so unhappy? It's because... Our church leaders have failed to contextualize the gospel to the Confucian influences of Korea. Korean church leaders end up using the gospel to enforce Confucian filial piety. And it is literally suffocating and killing our young people from following their dreams and their callings. The whole culture is set up. To not even think of going astray, disagreeing with their parents. They are miserable living under the perpetual slavery of their parents' wishes, pressures, and preferences. 
So even when they graduate from high school and they're going to college, and even when they finish kunde and finish college, and they have to live their life, what they see ahead of them is slavery. Perpetual slavery. And so they're very unhappy. Brothers and sisters, filial piety is not the same as honoring your parents. As Christians, we have to be discerning and we have to know the difference. Filial piety encourages ancestor worship, for one thing. The Bible would never allow ancestor worship. You know why? Because the second of the Ten Commandments, where we find honor your father and mother, the second says, do not make a graven image or an idol and bow down to it. It is explicitly forbidden. Honoring your parents also does not mean allowing your parents to control all your decisions in marriage, career, finances. And by disagreeing with them, you are not breaking the command of God. You don't have to feel that way. Even if your parents try try to tell you that you're being a bad son, that's not necessarily true if you're a thinking Christian. As a Christian adult, you must discern God's will for yourself. Amen? you got to find out what God has called you to do. And he's primarily speaking to you, not, to, not through your parents. And by the way, the best place to discern the will of God is done in a church community with good, godly Christian leaders. Anyway, once you find out and discern what that will is, then you got to follow it. Even if it means opposing your parents' wishes, amen? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm attacking a mindset that is very rarely addressed, very rarely confronted. So this is, a, this is not a, just a good message of information. This is a, a battle right now. There are demonic forces opposing me. But let the word of God run swiftly through this community and through this community onto the culture of the cities in which we live. You know, sometimes I've advised a young person to go in one direction after much prayer and counsel. And a parent will advise the very opposite. It usually happens when uh, some young person wants to go on a mission trip. Uh, or they want to make a career decision, or they want to go into full-time ministry, or they want to marry somebody. Usually, you know, these types of things stirs up Asian parents to come out and say something. Now, when this happens, the Korean parents that I've seen, they tend to make it about parents versus pastors. Where is your love and loyalty? I changed your diapers. I've loved you all these years, and this is how you repay me. It's because pastors versus parents. Or they begin to accuse the ministry of being a cult. I've noticed this is consistent because I've seen this when I was with Campus Crusade, CCC. And I also saw this when I was with New Philly. And even when I was in a church in New Jersey, anytime the children wanted to do something that was opposing the parents' wishes, we got labeled a cult. Wait, what, 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 what are they doing on Friday night? Wait, normal churches don't pray like that on Friday night. What, 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 are, what are they doing? Are they doing too much? This, they're controlling your life. Why is it that every time a young person is advised to follow something different from their parents' wishes, that it is labeled as controlling and as a cult? We need young people to live their lives for Jesus. We need them to step out with boldness and courage. Especially when they reach adulthood. Why is this seen as the virtue of godliness in Asian church cultures? This is because, once again, the gospel has not been contextualized. And it has failed to renew the teachings of the Korean church. Korean Christians, what they don't really understand, and many Asian church leaders fail to understand, is that they're being more informed by Confucius than they are from Christ. 
people of God, especially those with Asian parents, listen to my words. As an adult, if you want to honor your father and mother, then seek out their advice. Mom, dad, I got this major decision coming up. Can you pray with me? What do you think about it? Seek their advice. Don't just avoid them because you don't want to be controlled by them. Honor them by letting them speak into it. But if there is disagreement with their advice, tell them that you will prayerfully consider their advice. Even if, it, even if you really don't want to consider their advice, just honor them by saying, I, I appreciate your opinion. That's all you're saying. You're not saying, I will really literally consider. You're just saying, I appreciate your voice in my life, mom. And tell them you'll prayerfully consider taking their advice into consideration, but make it clear that the authority and responsibility to make the decision lies with you, not with them. Let me get the AC on. As an adult, you have to ask yourself, who are you going to live to please? Are you going to please God or are you living to please your parents? You cannot have two masters. You know, it would be ideal if God's will and your parents' wishes were perfectly aligned, but this is not always the case. There are those who use their parents' response as a barometer by which they decide whether to move forward or not. You know, I think that's nothing but a failure to integrate the Lordship of Christ into your decision-making. If you're using your parents' response as a barometer, you know, whether to get married to a guy or not, or whether you should serve on some mission trip or not, or whether you should follow this career decision or not. If you're using your parents' response as a barometer, you know, I hear Christians say it all the time. I'm going to talk to my parents, and if they have peace with it, then I will know that it's the will of the Lord. Well, what if it's the will of the Lord that your parents oppose your decision viciously? And God still wants you to move forward. What about that? What are you going to do then? Well, then my barometer thing doesn't really work then, does it? No, it doesn't. (laughs) You know, let me quote some scripture to you. Let me quote the words of Jesus. Jesus said, for those who follow him, sometimes there will be a sword to bring division in the family. Matthew chapter 10, I'll read it out loud. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You want a picture of Christianity? That's the picture of Christianity right there. That's the holistic picture that you have to take into consideration. It doesn't always apply like this, but there are going to come times when following Jesus means opposing and bringing division into your family. You know, and when you bring division into your family, what do your family usually say? How can this be the will of the Lord if you're bringing so much division into the family? What kind of Christian are you? How can this be of God? You, you tell them, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, mom and dad. <laughs> Jesus said, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father. And that looks like what's happening right now. But I'm going to follow Jesus. Because I love him. But I love you too. But I love Jesus. He's my Lord, not you. I got to follow my Lord. Look, don't let the accusations of being a bad daughter, being a bad Christian, don't let those accusations from your family, don't don't let it touch you. If you've discerned what the will of the Lord is, then it's time for you to pay the cost, step it up, and walk through it. Obey the Lord, and he will bless you. Jesus even talked about persecutions coming from parents. He said in Luke 21, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. Some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all 
for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. Now, he doesn't just mean here physical hair. Why? Because some of you, they're going to put to death. You're dead already. (laughs) But what he does mean is everlasting life will never escape you. My love will never fail you. Not a single hair of your head will perish. I'm going to be with you. And I will accomplish my will through you. Even when your family turns on you. And in the Muslim world, or in North Korea, for example, this is a very real situation. Here's another passage that Confucius never taught. Luke 18, 29. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many more, many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Confucius would have never taught that. He says, oh, you got to take, take care of your parents. You got to honor your parents. You got to obey your parents and everything. End of story. But Jesus said, look, sometimes I want you to honor your parents. Yes, that's my command. Make no mistake about it. But sometimes people get crazy, including parents. And they may not agree with what you want to do, what you feel like my will is. But that's the time when you got to remember my promises. Look, I'm going to reward you. Even if you leave behind family for the sake of the kingdom, I'm going to reward you. Even if you got to leave behind all your family and friends in Seoul, Korea, or in Northern Virginia, or in Los Angeles, California, or in Auckland, New Zealand. Whatever you've left behind, if you've done it for my kingdom, I will surely reward you. As a Christian adult, the best way to honor your father and mother is to grow into maturity and follow God's will for your life. That is the best way to honor your mother and father. They may not agree with you temporarily in the short run, but in the long run, they will say, oh, my son, I'm so glad you followed that decision. I'm so proud of you for who you become. Look at you. Look at you, son. Look at you, daughter. 우리 딸. 너무 자랑스러워. I'm so proud of you. You know, some of your parents will say that eventually. (laughs) But they may not initially. But that doesn't mean that it's not the will of the Lord. Now, let me uh, address what happens when we get older. And our parents get older. And they get really old. And then uh, they can't really take care of themselves anymore. What happens then? Uh, When we are older, we must take care of our parents to the best of our ability. Let me address this as well. Honoring your mother and father means letting there be a mutual edification. When you see your parents getting gradually older, or there's a sudden health calamity, or there's some kind of financial crisis they're going through, it pleases God for you to take care of them to the best of your ability. I'll read some passages for you. 1 Timothy 5.3. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has, a, has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. Meaning those children need to take care of that widow mom. And to make some kind of return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. When your parents get older and you get older... I know you're spending all your money on your kids, but make sure you have a little savings for your parents. For this is pleasing to God. It's a different place than Confucianism. Confucianism is just all, no matter what you feel on the inside, just you must obey. You know, and you're just all out of obligation. But here it's like, no, you got to do it from your heart. God wants you to take care of your parents. 1 Timothy 5, 7. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, his immediate family, 
For anyone who does not provide, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So the Apostle Paul laying it down real hard and saying, we have a social responsibility to take care of our immediate family. Uh, Verse 16, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. You know, there are people in our society who've lost everybody in their family. And nobody's around to take care of them. And in those cases, the Bible says, you set aside a little fund and you help people out that are in those situations who have no source of income. Especially if they're handicapped, they, are, they have a health ailment, we are to take care of them as a church. Especially for those who have no families, then we become that family for such people. But if you're going to church, but you do have a family, then the Bible says, you, them children, call up them children. That's you. You in 10, 15, 20 years from now, you need to be ready to help take care of your, your parents to the best of your ability. It should not be at the sacrifice of taking care of your own household. You know, if your children are starving because you have to take care of your parents, then you know, there's something wrong there. You need to balance the budget a little better than that. But it should, you should, it should never be at the sacrifice of taking care of your own family. But you need to plan for it so that you can do both. Amen? Now, this, this attacks the Western mindset. West, east, like people from the, east, the Easterners, the Asians are going, oh, yeah, that's a no-brainer. We should do that. Yeah, yeah, I should do that, right? Westerners are going, what you talking about? That's what nursing homes are for. That's what social security is for. And the Bible says, you're worse than an unbeliever. You're a godless fella thinking like that. This is your own flesh and blood. I don't care if the person's a Hindu or an atheist or a Muslim. This is your parents. This is the person that brought you life and changed your diapers when you're a little. Have a little, have a little gratitude. It's worse than, a, worse than an unbeliever. I mean, unbelievers, you know what they would say to somebody that doesn't take care of their parents when they're able to? They would say, man, you're, you're, you're worse than me. And I'm an unbeliever. That's what unbelievers would say if they knew the Bible. In the Bible, Ruth is commended for taking care of Naomi, her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law. It wasn't her biological mom. But Ruth recognized that Naomi had no family members left. And so she said, I will not leave you. I must take care of you. Please, please stop telling me to go. And Naomi like, get out of here. I'm just a bitter woman. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. I hate everybody. <laughs> My name is Mara. And Ruth, Ruth says, no, no, I will not let you go. Isn't that beautiful? Ruth is commended in the Bible for what she did. And God rewarded her for what she did. Taking care of her widowed, aging mother-in-law. Even Jesus... When he was on the cross, I mean, think about this. When you're on the cross, you're in a lot of pain. The last thing you will think about is taking care of your parents. But Jesus saw his mother. And we don't know where Joseph is. We, we read about Joseph in early on in the Gospels. We don't actually see Joseph present in Jesus' life later on. That probably means that Joseph died early. There was no Joseph around. So, so Mary was widowed. And, and I guess uh, Jesus' siblings weren't doing a good job of taking care of their mom. Because Jesus looked at the uh, Apostle John and said, look, this woman has now become your mother. And this man has become your son. Go in peace. Right? Jesus took care of his widowed mother before he died. It's a beautiful picture of the heart of God. Beautiful picture of honor your mother and father. In Matthew 15, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for neglecting the responsibility of taking care of their aging parents by making an excuse that they've given their funds as an offering to God. If you want to see this in Matthew 15, all right. He called them hypocrites. He was very harsh with them. They were talking about, oh, your disciples don't clean their hands when they eat. And Jesus was like, well, you don't take care of your parents, you hypocrites. 
You know that it is written, honor your mother and father. And those who revive their, revile their parents should be put to death. You know what the word of God says. And yet, for the sake of your traditions, you nullify the word of God by saying, whatever I would have given to you parents, I've given it as an offering to God. So that's not available. I'm sorry, mom and dad. And Jesus said, you hypocrites. You're concerned with me washing my hands. I'm concerned with you. You need to wash your heart. What kind of ungrateful sons and daughters are you? All right, that's just my own paraphrase <laughs> of what, the tone of maybe what Jesus said. But he, I mean, he was pretty harsh, or it's harsh. So I want to close with this. Where we have failed to honor our mother and father, and where our parents have failed to love us with a loving with a fatherly love, with a motherly heart. Where we have failed and where our parents have failed. You know, where our parents have failed, there is a father that has demonstrated what a perfect father looks like. And that is our father God. And where we failed as sons and daughters to honor our parents, there is a son that truly honored his father. Even when it costs him everything. Remember those Old Testament laws? God said, if you curse your mother and father, that man is to be put to death. If you attack your mother and father, that man is to be put to death. If there's a rebellious son who's a glutton and a drunkard, you're to take him to the city gates and tell the elders, this is a drunkard and a glutton and he's a rebellious son. You're to stone him to death. You think, oh, God probably changed his mind in the New Testament. He's not like that anymore. That's not true. That is the very character of our God. He takes our relationship with our parents very seriously. And it's not that he's changed his mind. It's that somebody has paid your price. The price of death has never been lifted from the law of God. It's just that somebody else paid that price for you. Where you cursed and reviled and disobeyed and attacked your parents. When you were children, Jesus honored his father all the way to the cross and he paid the penalty for our sin so that we can be reconciled to a perfect father and therefore be able to honor our earthly fathers. You know, if you try to honor your parents, even from a Confucian standpoint, without the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's nearly impossible. You know why? Because you may honor your parents externally. But when they start getting pretty harsh and dis- disagreeing with you, you're, you're, you're externally obeying, but in your heart, you may despise them. In your heart, resentment is growing. That's not true honor. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ, you cannot truly honor your mother and father like the way God has commanded you to honor them. And when you honor your mother and father well, you know what happens? There's an expectation you put on your parents that they ought to be good parents. If I'm honoring them that way, they ought to be good parents. But here's the thing. Whatever expectations you put of what a good parent is, your parents will never meet up to those expectations. In fact, you'll probably crush your parents with those expectations because they can't meet it. They're probably going to fail you and disappoint you. And so whether you are a son and daughter honoring your mother and father, or whether you've now become a mother and father and you expect that kind of honor from your children. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ, you cannot properly have that kind of honor in these family relationships. You know why? Because without the gospel, you're always trying to do it out of a deficit. If your parents haven't been pouring love into you when you try to honor them and they're like, do it because this is the duty. This is the family duty. How dare you disgrace our family? You will just grit your teeth and you will say, in my heart, I do not honor you, but externally I will go through. And that will kill your soul. It will do something to your soul. And whenever you see your parents, you're despised them. Because there's a deficit here. But when you have a living relationship with God through Christ, you don't try to honor your parents from deficit. You honor them from overflow. 
because you have a perfect father and a perfect son whom you are in continual relationship with. Church, I want to encourage you. Think through how the gospel applies to you honoring your mother and father. Don't think of it in a simple, narrow-minded way. Consider the whole of scripture and the various exceptions that come up in life. And remember the culture in which you are living. For those who are Asian-American or Asian-Australian, Korean-American, Chinese-American in here, you live in between two cultures. You have a double challenge here. You live in an American culture, but you are trying to honor parents from an Asian culture, a first-generation culture, a Confucian culture. And it may be very frustrating, and it may be very difficult. But I want to challenge you. Let the gospel continue to renew how you ought to honor them. Don't give up on it. That's, don't give up. Keep honoring them, but do it from a place of overflow. You know why? In these last days before the return of Jesus, you know what is going to mark what goes on in, in, the, in, the, in the communities, in the cities, in the churches? You know what's going to mark? Malachi chapter 4. Before Jesus returns, God is going to turn the hearts of fathers to sons and sons to fathers. Honor your mother and father is such an important aspect of that prophecy being fulfilled and then Jesus returning in the clouds with glory. But if we as Christians are failing to honor our mother and father and we're not integrating and thinking about how our faith applies to what it looks like to honor them in the cross cultures we live in, if we're not doing that, We're going to be like orphans trying to start from scratch again. And we're not going to receive the inheritance that the previous generation who's gone before us wants to give to us. You are not orphans. Say, I'm not an orphan. God's blessings come to me generation to generation. Do you believe that? God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for your word. We just thank you, God, that though we have earthly parents that may have failed us, you have not failed us. You have never failed us. Your love never fails. And we thank you that through through the obedience of your son, Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled to be in love relationship with a perfect father. And that, God, out of that experience of your love, we can experience true honor to the parents that we have on earth. Yeah, we just pray. Come and renew our minds today. Come and renew our minds.